We're going to have our Bible reading now. Uh, We're doing Psalm 23, and that's found on page 862 of the Church Bibles. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and then we'll get into God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God of Psalm 23, that you are our shepherd, our hope, our joy, our strength and our comfort. Thank you, Lord, that that changes our lives, our purpose, it gives us value. We pray this morning as we look at this passage that you would speak to us, that you would help us stay focused and and understand what you're saying to us. We pray that you would be here, that we would be changed by your word. That as we leave this morning, that we would be different people than when we walked in. And we pray that you would do this work on our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of uh, the kind of favorite things that I used to do growing up with my mum was we would make food together. I know it kind of sounds a bit lame, but we would make rissoles together. And it's a classic Australian home, right? You you know, our own very castle. And I loved rissoles. And one night, I was about 10 years old, we were making rissoles, probably the best ones we'd ever made. And I kind of left them in mum's very capable hands and went to soccer training. I didn't eat before soccer training. Left them in mum's hand and said, you know, save me some when I get back. Went to soccer, came home, and you know that feeling when you're hungry and you know you've got good food at home, like that, or you're going somewhere and you know, and the joy sort of fills your heart. That's kind of where I was at. And uh, I get home, race upstairs, have a shower, grab my knife and fork downstairs, come to mum, sort of, where's the fruit of my labour, only to find out that mum had forgotten me. Now, if you're a youngest child, welcome to our lives, right? (laughs) Yeah, we know we're spoiled, our parents are more lenient on us than the other kids, but sometimes we'd slip through the gaps. Now, looking back, I can understand how mum could do this. For boys, three older than me who are hungry, of course you're going to give them the food that you already have. And it's not as if I would have starved, so of course you would do that. I can understand now, but back then, well, she forgot me. She forgot me, and I didn't know how to put those pieces together. So in my little brain, because mum forgot me, well, she didn't love me. Now, I know that's not, like, that's crazy thinking about it, but that's what kids do, right? They cry over spilt milk. That's what they do. I put the pieces together. I didn't know how to figure out if mum really loved me. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there before. Maybe not with your mum, maybe with someone else that you've asked the question, do you, how do I know that you love me? Do you really love me? How do I know? I was reading a marriage book this week and he said in that basically every day one spouse or the other asks this question, either verbally or inside, how do I know that you love me? I don't know if you've been there before, ask that question to someone, how do I know? Right, well we're in church today and I don't know if you've been in church any amount of time, I feel like we're told all the time that God loves us, that he unconditionally loves us. We get that week in, week out here, but even if you haven't been to church, on Logan Road, if you've seen those signs from Hillsong where it says, I haven't stopped loving you, right? That picture that God loves us. But the question for us today is, how do we know? How do we know God loves us? 
How do we know? What, what can we look at? What's the evidence of where God shows his love for us? Well, if you have your Bibles there today, have them open in Psalm 23. And what we see is that David begins with the fact that he knows God's love and he talks about God as a shepherd. So Psalm 23, beginning at verse 1, this is a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. How does David know God's love? Well, he says God's like a shepherd. Now, this is a foreign idea to me, right? I don't even know a shepherd, let alone have been one. I've had a dog once, but not a sheep. And so the closest thing I've got is probably watching Sean the Sheep, but even then haven't watched a full episode. So I don't even know what it's like. But David, this isn't a foreign idea to David. He knows what a shepherd's like because he was one. Before he entered the biblical story, he was a shepherd. He was tending field. And see, the picture we have of David, the little boy fighting a big Goliath, is just wrong because shepherds, being a shepherd wasn't child's work right it was a serious job it wasn't the kind of work that you would do where you'd come home and still have soft hands it was long days long nights being a shepherd was a big deal right it was a big deal it meant long days making sure the sheep were cared for provided for long days protecting the sheep and then sometimes long nights as well it was a big deal being a shepherd and David here is saying to God you are my shepherd now notice he's not saying that God is the shepherd He's not saying that God is shepherdly to every kind of person in the world. He's saying to God, you are my shepherd. This is a big deal. We know this is a big deal from what we've seen already in this series. In Psalm 139, we saw who God is. He's everywhere. He's left, he's right, he's up, he's down, he's everywhere. And he knows everything. This is God who made everything. This is the God of Psalm 51 we saw a couple of weeks ago. The holy God, the perfect God. And David's saying to this God, the God of the universe, you are my shepherd. This is a big deal. He's not talking to his mum, even though it's Mother's Day. He's not talking to his dad or to his boss. He's talking to the God of the universe. And he's saying to this God, you, you are my shepherd. You're watching out for me. You're providing for me. You're protecting me. Really what David's saying to God is, you've got my back. And it's a good thing when anyone has your back. See, growing up in school, I know looking at me now, it's kind of a weird thing to think, but I was a small kid, and so you look at my muscles now. No, but I've always been the small kid, which is a problem for me because I had a big mouth. And so I would talk smack, I'd be annoying to people, and would have on numerous occasions gotten myself beaten up, except for the fact that in our friendship group, I had a couple of mates who were big guys, and they had my back. They had my back. They were the kind of guys that spend, you know, their avos in gym. This is the kind of friends that I had. I needed to have these kind of friends. And they had my back. They protected me. They looked after me. It's always a good thing when someone's got our back. But not just in friendships at school. Like, it's always good in our lives. Like, when our world falls apart, it's good knowing that someone's there for us. When everyone gives up on us, it's good. It's always a good thing knowing someone's got our back. That someone's with us. That will be there for us when everyone gives up on us. David's saying to God, you've got my back. You've got me. When, when everything's going well, you've got me. And David says that in the green pastures, you've got me. But see, it's easy, I think, to say to God, you love me. You've got my back when life's going well. 
right? We could do that too when work's going well, church is going well, our relationships are going well with God and others. Isn't it easy to look at our lives and go, well, God loves me. God's interested in me because stuff's going well. But see, we all know that love isn't tested when life is going well. It's tested when life gets rough, right? So, so I don't know if you've been watching reality TV lately. Um, there's this show that's been on called Married at First Sight. Unfortunately, I was really gutted. I just didn't ca- get to catch any of the season, but, but I did catch the last episode, the finale. And the show is just classic reality TV, right? If you've watched it, you know what I'm talking about. It's called Married at First Sight. It's basically that. Two strangers get married at an altar, kind of introduce each other, go to their honeymoon, spend three weeks together and decide if they want to live life together. It's classic. But see, basically all the couples, at least this is what the producers want us to see, all the couples in their honeymoons fall deep in love with each other. Of course they do. It's a romantic honeymoon, all expenses paid. If you can ignore the cameras, it's a great thing. I mean, once you ride on a horse with your bride, there's no going back after that. You're deep in love with each other. But then what happens is, right, they they fall in love. That's what it seems like. They're in love on this show in their honeymoon, but then they get to life, right? And they get back to life. And life starts kicking in. Difficulty starts kicking in. It's hard. And so that's when their love's really tested. Not on the honeymoon, but in the life, in the normal life. And see, this is our story as well for Elizabeth and I. I mean, I spent eight months working pretty hard to wear a mask to convince Elizabeth I wasn't crazy. But eight months came up. And it was our first kind of difficult moment in our relationship. I thought I was either had to marry her or break up with her. And those were my only two options. And so that was difficult for us. I mean, Elizabeth was crying. I had dust in my eyes, a whole lot of dust in my eyes. But we got through it. We got through it. And then as we dated, as we got married, we know that love's not tested on our honeymoon in the green pastures, in the good times. Love's tested when life gets hard. And so for David, he's saying, God's with me. God's got my back in the good times, in the green pastures. But what about when life gets hard? What about when stuff goes, gets difficult? Well, what does he say? Verse 4, David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David says to God, in the good, you've got me. You've led me here. But in the bad, in the rough, you're still here. See, good shepherds didn't just give up on their sheep when life got hard. Right? The picture of a shepherd is not the kind of guy on the back of his porch with the cork hat watching his sheep happily in the, run around in the acreage where they're happily protected. The the picture of a shepherd is in the ancient Middle East, they would take the sheep throughout like the the land, trying trying to find food and water for them. But it meant that they would come up against enemies of the sheep, meant that they would have to protect the sheep from lions, from panthers, from bears, right? This isn't a kid's job. This isn't a job for the faint hearted. And, And so what would happen? A shepherd would have to put their line on the life for the sheep to protect them. And so David's saying to God, in the bad times, in the valley, in the darkest places, you're still there. You're still my shepherd. You're you're the good shepherd who won't give up on me when it gets rough. He's saying to God, how does he know that he's loved? Well, he's saying to God, in the good, you're there. But in the bad, you're still there. You're protecting me. You're putting your life on the line for me. And, And this is great what he's saying of God. This is awesome. He knows God's love. But see, here's the crazy thing of it. We have a clearer picture than David does of what God's love's like. 
We have a clear picture. David can say truth about God. He knows that God is like this, but we have a clearer picture than David. So David's picture of God's kind of like this. Right? If you look at it too long, you'll think your eyes are going bad and you need to get them checked, and potentially you do, but, but it is blurry. Right? The, the picture's blurry, but see, we can still see the truth about that. The sun's shining, the, it's reflecting off the water. It's still, we can still see the beauty of that. It's kind of like David's picture of God. He can see the truth about God, that God is good, that God is with him in the good and the bad. He gets that. He can see that. But see, we have a clearer picture than David. Our picture is more like this. Our picture is the high-definition version. We can see clearly what David's talking about. See, David speaks of a good shepherd who is there for his sheep when it's good, but also when it's rough. But we, we, we know exactly who and when and how that good shepherd cared for his sheep when it got rough. See, if we were to keep reading the Bible, we'd get to John 10 and we'd find another story of sheep. And in John 10, the story is about how the sheep know the shepherd's name. And Jesus tells this story to show the Pharisees that they actually have no idea who he is. Right? That he is a bigger deal than they even realize. And as he gets to the end of the story in John 10, Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. It's a massive statement. It's a bigger statement than we realize because at the end of it, they think he's demon-possessed. So, so why is this such a big statement saying that I am, a, I am the good shepherd when Jesus says it? Why is this such a big deal? Well, the reason it's such a big deal is because Jesus is saying, I am the guy David was speaking about in Psalm 23. I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd who will put his life on the line for the sheep, who will lay his life down for the sheep, for his people. And when we come to Jesus and put our trust in him, this becomes our psalm. Jesus becomes our shepherd. No longer is this just David's psalm. It becomes ours. These words, this hope, this joy becomes ours because we know who the good shepherd is. Jesus laid his life down for us. And, and when we trust in Jesus, when this psalm becomes ours, there's two really practical things that follow from it. The first thing that comes from knowing Jesus, the good shepherd of this psalm, knowing this psalm is ours, is what, kind of what we've been talking about in this series. It's been a series on identity. We've been looking at this pyramid where we see the five key relationships in our life. Jesus, the good shepherd, laying his life down for us, right? giving us worth and value, saying that we are his sheep. What that means is that we can find our identity vertically. We can look to God and see where our worth is, where our value is, what our purpose is. We no longer have to look horizontally. And we saw what that was like last week, didn't we? We saw what it was like. We look horizontally. It's exhausting and it always ends badly. We're trying to prove ourselves over and over again to people. It's exhausting when we're wearing a mask, trying to pretend we're someone that we're not. It's exhausting. And so when Jesus, the good shepherd, lays his life down for us, when we trust in him and this psalm becomes ours, we can look vertically and see, well, God gives me value. God gives me purpose. God gives me self-worth. That's the first thing that it means. But the second thing that it means is that the practical side of this psalm becomes ours. These words become ours. And so if you're going through the green pastures at the moment, if this is you, if work's going well, if home life's going well, if your relationships are going well, vertically with God and horizontally with others, if you're feeling blessed at the moment, then let's with David celebrate that God has got us here. 
that he has led us to the point where we are, that he is the one that gave us there in verse 1 and 3. The 1 to 3, let's celebrate that God has led us there. But for many of us, we're not in the green pastures. Our picture is not of green pastures. It's more of the darkest valley. It's more of the valley of the shadow of death. It's more like this. And I don't know if you feel that, but when you feel like you're in this journey and you can't go left, you're stuck. And you can't go right, you're stuck. And you don't want to go back because that's where you were. And the only way to go, the only way to, place to go is forward, but that's where our enemies lie. Maybe that's some of us here this morning. We feel like we're in the darkest valley where in front of us is just our enemies. And it might not be the same as David, but, but we might be facing sickness. We might be afraid of the enemy that sickness is that our bodies are going to give up on us. Or it might be suffering, and maybe not physical suffering, but the mental, the emotional side, that we've been in a dark place for a long time. Or maybe the enemy is Satan, where we're scared he's going to tempt us to despair. We're afraid of what he could do to us. Or maybe not Satan, maybe it is just death. And we look to death and we see it sting and we see the enemy and it's too much for us. We don't want to keep going forward. But see, when we put our trust in Jesus, what this psalm is saying is that Jesus is our good shepherd. And good shepherds don't give up on their sheep when it gets rough. In fact, good shepherds put their lives on the line for the sheep. They put their lives on the line for the sheep. And the reality is Jesus hasn't just put his life on the line for the sheep presently, but he has done it past. He's been there. He's done it. He's defeated all of our enemies. Right? This is the picture that Jesus, when he went to the cross, he defeated sickness. It doesn't mean sickness isn't going to be hard, but he defeated it with the hope that one day we'll be in a place where our bodies won't be broken. He defeated sin by paying the price on the cross, absorbing the price for us. He defeated suffering with the hope that one day we'll have joy where there'll be no darkness. And he defeated death by taking away its sting. He defeated death by death. Jesus has been there. He's defeated our enemies. He's been in the valley of the shadow of death. And because he's been there, because he's defeated our enemies, all that's left of our enemies is shadows. This is the valley of the shadow of death. Charles Spurgeon, this theologian, when he was speaking about this passage, he points this thing out. He says, the shadow of a dog has no bite. Right? It might be scary looking at the shadow of a dog, but it'll never hurt you. The shadow of a sword, it might be frightening, but it won't cut you. And the shadow of death has lost its sting. Because Jesus defeated all of our enemies... Because he defeated our enemies, all that's left is shadows, shadows with no substance. It's kind of like this picture. See, when you look at this picture, you see the shadow on the wall, right? It looks frightening. The cat's losing it. But when you look closely, it's just mice, right? Pretending to be the shadow. That's kind of what Jesus has done for us. He's turned our enemies into shadows and when we look at them, they have no substance. He's defeated sickness. He's defeated suffering. He's defeated sin and he's defeated death. And he's done this all by his death and by his resurrection. And so when we look at our enemies, all that's left is shadows. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean that. We never get that promise in the Bible. 
But it does mean that even when it gets hard, we have a hope of the future. We have a joy to look forward to. And see, this is the thing. Jesus has done this. Jesus has been where we go. We'll never walk through a valley that Jesus hasn't been through. You'll never walk a road that Jesus hasn't first gone because the shepherd became a sheep. That's the picture we have. The shepherd came, became a sheep to help the sheep. And he put his life on the line. He defeated the enemies that we'll face. So how do we know God's love? We're in the good, God's there. He's got us in the bad, God's there. And David's saying, when we put our trust in Jesus, David's saying it's a comfort when there is no comfort. It's a hope in the hopeless. And as he finishes, it's a joy in the sadness. Verse 5, he says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The table he's talking about there is a banquet. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of banquet. For me, growing up, on my birthday, all I ever wanted to do was go to Sizzler. Right? I, I just loved that. I couldn't get enough of it. And so... Um, maybe you, you're not like that, but that's where I go to for banquet. All you can eat pumpkin soup, kind of the joy as you enter in, the smell of cheesy bread when they bring it to your table, unlimited ice cream. That's where my mind goes for banquet. Maybe not you. Maybe you go to Pizza Hut, the all-you-can-eat greasy pizza. I don't know. Maybe that's your only two options. Maybe it's not. Maybe that's just me. But, but I don't know what you think of banquet, but see, David, he knows banquets. He's a king, right? He knows how to put on a good feed. It's the kind of picture of, I don't know, the kind of nine-course meal. Right? That's kind of where I go to thinking about this. You know those nine-course meals where the first one's the most random thing you've ever tried in your life? It's like quail with stuffed eggplant, and you think, who thought that would be a good idea? But you're not even mad because you've got eight more courses? You know that? Like, that's kind of the feeling here that David's getting at. It's a, a banquet in the presence of his enemies, and banquets were all about joy. That they're all about joy. That's what they're about. And then he says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So let's say in the ancient Middle East, we had church and you invited a few people around from church. What you would do as they came around to your house is as they entered in, you'd get your good oil out. You'd anoint their heads with it. Probably not olive oil or, you know, coconut oil. I don't know, the good smelling oil. And the reason you did this was kind of to say to them, while they're in your house, you love them, you cherish them, you respect them. It's all about loving, it's all about respecting them. And then he says, you, you fill my cup, my cup overflows. And so what you would do is they come into your house, as they sit down, you'd grab their wine glass and you'd fill it up and just until the point that it overflowed. Now I'm looking at some of you going, there's no way I'd be doing that. I, I know some of you thinking, there is no way that I would possibly let the wine, over. that's more cleaning, but you'd do it. Trust me, you would do it. You'd fill it up till it overflowed. And the reason you would do that is to say to them, while you're in my house, I got you. Right? Whatever you want, I'm providing for you, I'll give you whatever you need. David's saying this of God. He's saying to God, you've got me in the good and in the bad, you'll be providing for me. You love me, you cherish me, you respect me, and ultimately, because of that, you bring me joy. See, joy is different to happiness, right? I think some of us have been fed the lie that we need to be happy because Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Like when we get out of the car, we've got to put the mask on and pretend like everything's going good, that we're happy. 
But happiness is different to joy. Happiness comes and goes as quickly as it, it goes as quickly as it comes. You tell me Man City won, I'm happy. You tell me the Broncos won, I'm happy. But it comes and goes as quick as, it goes as quick as it comes. You tell me I'm paid, I'm happy. But happiness doesn't last. Joy does. Joy is what's deeper. Joy is in the green pastures and the darkest valley, the thing that we can look forward to, the hope that we have, the comfort we have. Joy is in the face of our enemies. We can look to Jesus and say, even though this is dark, even though the shadows are surrounding me, even though there's nowhere to go, there's a joy knowing you've conquered this. There's a joy knowing that there is a hope in the future. And David says to God, there is a joy in the sadness. There is a joy in the darkness. There is a deep joy that comes from knowing that he will dwell in God's presence forever. And that's where David finishes. He says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's not saying he's going to have a sleep over at God. It's about God's presence. It's about being in God's presence. And so when he says all the days of my life, you're there. Your goodness, your love is there. When I'm here, you're there. But then he says, when my life's over... When it finishes, you're still there. You're still there and I will dwell in your presence forever. I mean, this is a beautiful psalm, isn't it? This is a great hope that David speaks of and it's great that we know who this good shepherd is. This is a great psalm. It's no wonder that it is one of the most famous psalms that we've heard. right? I can almost guarantee that you've heard this psalm before. It's no wonder because it's so good. We see God's love clearly, his comfort clearly, his, the joy that we can have even when life goes rough. It, it's a great psalm for a reason. But the reality is, is the comfort, the joy, the God of this psalm isn't for everyone. See, a few years ago, Ross and I went to this funeral. And the lady in the funeral, the lady who had died, she wasn't a Christian she had nothing to do with Christianity, but for some reason just wanted a Prezi minister. And as we're at that funeral, they, Psalm 23 gets played. They, they listen to Psalm 23. Now, now I wasn't going to say anything in that moment, of course. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's devastating. Death is hard. And, and as they're playing, I'm not going to say anything, but, but something within. And, and the hope is that, you know, God would work through that, and he can work through that. But something on the other hand, it's, just, it's heartbreaking. Because this hope's not her hope. This comfort's not her comfort. This joy's not her joy. Because she doesn't know the Good Shepherd. She doesn't know Jesus, who laid his life down for his sheep. It was a heartbreaking funeral. They didn't know the hope, they didn't know the joy of Psalm 23. But when we think about this lady and then we contrast her to someone who did, I mean, our dear sister Judy, she knew the hope of Psalm 23. She knew the comfort of Psalm 23. Didn't she know the joy of Psalm 23? She knew it. Psalm 23, this was her God. And, and we believe this. I mean, as we think about it right now, Judy is where David was saying one day he will be in the presence of God forever. She has been healed completely and she's in God's presence forever. This is, this is the joy that she was holding on to. This is the joy that she's experiencing right now. 
And as we come to Jesus, this is our joy. This is our hope. This is our psalm. These words are ours because the good shepherd laid his life down for us. So, so if you're here this morning and you haven't put your trust in Jesus, then Psalm 23 isn't yours, but, but it can be. It can be. If you look to Jesus, if you see his death in the empty grave, this can be your hope. This can be your joy. This can be your comfort. If you put your trust in Jesus, we can grasp it. We can hold on to the comfort and hope and joy of knowing Jesus laid his life down for us. But if we are here this morning and we have put our trust in Jesus, these words are ours. Let's never let them go. Let's hold on to them until our last breath. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This is ours. He leads me beside green pastures. He restores my soul. This is ours. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even in the, in the green pastures, he's there. This is my hope. But even when it gets bad, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are there, God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is our hope in the good and the bad. You prepare a table for before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is ours. In Jesus, these words become ours. Surely goodness and love, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell. I will dwell with Judy and with Christians before her in the presence of God forever. Let's hold on to this psalm. It's so good. Our good shepherd laid his life down for us. Let's pray. God, you are the good shepherd. We see that clearly as we look to Jesus who laid his life down for the sheep. We didn't deserve that, Lord. We saw that in week two of this series. We're so sinful. We didn't deserve any of that. But that doesn't change the fact that your grace, your mercy, your love made it happen. Lord, we are loved as we come to Jesus. I, I am loved. We see it clearly as we look to the cross. And so we pray, Lord, that Psalm 23 would be the words we hold on to for the rest of our lives. We pray that if we're still wrestling with this whole Jesus thing, that we're still wrestling with trusting in him, we ask that you would help us in that. Give us wisdom in that. Point us to the cross and the empty grave. But for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, we ask that we would hold on. Remember the good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.